0: Chapter six of the life and works of Joseph Wright by William Bemrose. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Wright's secession from the Royal Academy. J. L. Phillips. The Messrs. Redgrave's criticisms on the secession and upon Wright's works. Haley's poem. Antony Pasquin. Letters from Wright to J. L. Phillips. THE air pump PICTURE I now propose to deal with the uncommon instance of an artist who, after having accepted the associateship, refused the full honours of the Royal Academy. In November of 1781, Wright was elected an associate, and in February 1784, a full member of the Academy, but for some reason or other he declined to become an academician. Much has been written upon this subject, and very different conclusions have been arrived at. One of his most intimate friends, J. Leigh Phillips, who possessed considerable artistic judgment, wrote in 1797, the year after Wright's death, the following account of Wright's treatment by the Royal Academy, and there is no doubt but that he was well acquainted with all the circumstances of the case. Quote, his portraits are mostly confined to the immediate neighbourhood of derby this remark may likewise in a great degree extend to the generality of his works as but few of his late pictures have been publicly exhibited owing to their being frequently disposed of even before finished and to a repugnance which he felt at sending his works to an exhibition where he had too much cause to complain of their being improperly placed and sometimes even upon the ground, that, if possible, they might escape the public eye. As a proof of the truth of this remark, the last pictures he exhibited were placed upon the ground, in consequence of which they were so much injured by the feet of the company, as to render it necessary to have the frames repaired and regilded. This narrow jealousy added to the circumstance of his being rejected as an R.A. at the time Mr. Garvey was a successful candidate, did not tend to increase his opinion of the liberality of his brethren in the profession. The Academy, however, being afterwards made aware of the impropriety of thus insulting a man of his abilities, deputed their secretary, Newton, to Derby to solicit his acceptance of a diploma which he indignantly rejected. Knowing how little the institution could serve him and feeling perhaps a satisfaction that his friend Mortimer and himself were both deemed equally unqualified to enjoy the honours attached to that royal establishment. The Messrs. Redgrave in their Century of Painters take exemption to this account of the treatment of Wright by the Academy and say, We are inclined to discount the whole of the tale upon the grounds that we have searched the records of the academy to learn the facts connected with wright's retirement it was a safe place to search for what was sure not to be found if mr phillips's account were true against the authors of the century of painters are arrayed the writers and poets of the day who took up the case where the circumstances were well known if wright felt aggrieved he had a perfect right to decline the honour and it appears to me that the story as told by mr phillips has more claim to credence than the opinions of writers a century later founded upon such purely negative evidence the messrs redgrave also state that he then when offered the full diploma refused to comply with the law of the academy which requires a member to present one of his works to the Academy before receiving his diploma, and required his name to be removed from the list of associates. End quote. As Wright declined the proffered honour, it was not necessary for him to comply with the law of the Academy and present one of his works. The refusal was consequent upon his retirement, but there is nothing to show that it caused it. Again, Mr. S. Redgrave, in his dictionary of artists, states, quote, On the foundation of the academy, he had entered as a student, and in seventeen eighty one he was elected an associate. His election as a full member followed in seventeen eighty four, but we are told that, annoyed by another having been elected before him, he retired altogether from the academy. The facts, however, do not bear out this statement, and it appears more probable that the nervous, irritable, ailing painter, settled quietly so far from the metropolis, was afraid of the duties and responsibilities which his membership would entail. It will be seen that Mr. S. Redgrave omits to state the facts to which he refers. The retirement of Wright from the Academy induced Hayley, the poet, to write the following ode, with a view to guard him from meek depression's chill control ode to joseph wright esquire of derby away ye sweet but trivial forms that from the placid pencil rise when playful art the landscape warms with italy's unclouded skies stay vanity nor yet demand thy portrait from the painter's hand nor ask thou indolence to aid thy dream the soft illusion of the mimic stream that twinkles to thy side with cynthia's trembling beam be thine my friend a nobler task beside thy vacant easel see guests who with claims superior ask new miracles of art from thee valor who mocks unequal strife and clemency whose smile is life write let thy skill this radiant paris claim give to our view our favorite scene of fame where britain's genius blazed in glory's brightest flame celestial ministers ye speak to no dull agent sloth oppressed who coldly hears in spirit weak heroic virtues high behest behold though envy strives to foil the artist bent on public toil behold his flames terrific lustre shed, his naval blaze mounts from his billowy bed, and culp proudly rears his war-illumined head. In gorgeous pomp forever shine, bright monument of Britain's force, though doomed to feel her fame decline, in ill-starred war's o'erwhelming course though europe envious realms unite to crush her in unequal fight her genius deeply stung with generous shame on this exulting rock arrayed in flame equals her ancient feats and vindicates her name how fiercely british valor pours the deluge of destructive fire which o'er that watery babel roars bidding the baffled host retire and leave their fallen to yield their breath in different pangs of double death ye shall not perish no ye hapless brave reckless of peril through the fiery wave see british mercy's tears each prostrate foe to save ye gallant chiefs Whose deeds proclaim the genuine hero's feeling soul, Elliot and Curtis, with whose name Honor enriched his radiant roll. Blessed is your fate, nor blessed alone That rescued foes your virtues own, That Britain triumphs in your filial worth, Blessed in the period of your glory's birth, When art can bid it live to decorate the earth. Alas, what deeds were virtue reigned have in oblivion's darkens died when painting by the goths unchained no life-securing tints supplied of all thy powers, exchanting art, thou deemest this the dearest part to guard the rights of valor and afford surviving lustre to the hero's sword for this heroic greece thy martial charms adored rival of greece in arms in arts though dimmed in her declining days britain yet boasts unnumbered hearts who keenly pan for public praise her battles yet are firmly fought by chiefs with spartan courage fraught her artists with athenian zeal unite to trace the glories of the prosperous fight and gild the embattled scene with art's immortal light though many a hand may well portray the rushing war's infuriate shock proud cop bids thee right display the terrors of her blazing rock the burning hulks of baffled spain from thee she claims nor claims in vain thou mighty master of the mimic flame whose peerless pencil with peculiar aim has formed of lasting fire the basis of thy fame just as thy praise thy country's voice loudly asserts thy signal power in this reward mayest thou rejoice in modern labor's silent hour Far from those seats where envious leagues and dark cabals and base intrigues exclude meek merit from its proper home, where art, whom royalty forbade to roam, against thy talents closed her self dishonored dome. When partial pride or mean neglect the nerves of injured genius gall, what kindly spells of keen effect his energy of heart to recall perchance there is no spell so strong as friendship's sympathetic song by fancy linked in a fraternal band artist and bard in sweet alliance stand they suffer equal wounds and mutual aid demand go then to slighted worth devote thy willing verse my fearless muse Haply thy feet and friendly note Some joyous ardour may infuse In fibres that severely smart From potent envy's poisoned dart. Through right's warm breast Beat tides of vigour roll. Guard him from meek depression's chill control And rouse him to exert each sinew of his soul. Footnotes Cynthia same as Diana, who, by some, is supposed to have presided over the moon, so called from her having been born at Synthus. Calp, Mound, synonymous with Gibraltar. Elliot, general, appointed to the command of Gibraltar in seventeen seventy six and defended it at the siege in seventeen eighty three. In seventeen eighty seven, he was created Lord Heathfield, Baron Gibraltar. Curtis, Captain Roger of the Marine Brigade, afterwards knighted for his gallant conduct in rescuing the enemy from the burning ships on September the fourteenth, seventeen eighty-two, to which allusion is made in verses five and six and a footnote. The first nine verses allude to Wright's picture of the siege of Gibraltar the last three refer to his having been rejected as an ra this ode is referred to by wright in the following interesting letter to his friend Hayley, and from what we learn of wright's character from those who knew him it is very certain that he would not have accepted as a very ingenious and very friendly ode a poem which contained such severe animadversions upon the treatment he had been subjected to by the royal academy unless he had thought them justified by the facts. derby august thirty first seventeen eighty three my dear sir it is recommended to the painters who wish to become eminent to let no day pass without a line how contrary alas has been my practice a series of ill health for these sixteen years past, the core of my life, has subjected me to many idle days, and bowed down my attempts towards fame and fortune. I have laboured under an annual malady some years, four and five months at a time, under the influence of which I have now dragged over four months without feeling a wish to take up my pencil, till roused by your very ingenious and very friendly ode in which are many beautiful parts, and some sublime. Perhaps, had I then been furnished with proper materials for the action of Gibraltar, I should have begun my fire, but for want of such instructions I soon sunk into my wonted torpor again, from which, as the weather grows cooler, I hope to awaken. Mr. Wedgwood approves of your subject of Penelope as a companion to the Maid of Corinth, You mentioned the boy Telemachus being pale and feverish, pray, is there any authority in history for it, or have you mentioned it to give more character and expression to his mother? When I know this I shall make a sketch of it and consult you further about it. Some little time ago I received one hundred copies of your charming ode. Would I deserve that your warm friendship has lavished on me? Some of which I distributed among my friends, but would it not be more advantageous to me to spread abroad the rest when my picture is finished, especially if I make an exhibition of it with some others? I am, dear sir, with the greatest esteem, your much obliged friend, Joseph Wright. Another writer, Anthony Pasquin, footnote John Williams, and a footnote in his the Royal Academicians a farce seventeen eighty six gives this account of Wright's secession from the academy which he puts into the mouth of truth the inimitable Wright of derby once expressed an ardent desire to be admitted a member of the academy but from what unaccountable reason his wishes were frustrated remains as yet a secret to the world but the sagacious or rather the envious brethren of the brush thought proper to thrust so eminent an artist on one side to make way for so contemptible an animal as edmund garbage garvey they had scarcely invested this insignificant mushroom with diplomatic honours before they discovered that they had been committing a most atrocious diabolical and bloody murder upon two gentlemen of great respectability and character eclipsed genius and justice and the pangs of their wounded consciences became so very troublesome that it was resolved in a full divan instantly to dispatch secretary prig to derby with a diploma and force these august privileges and distinctions upon the disappointed painter that he had before solicited in vain but alas the expedition was inauspicuous and unfortunate the diploma was rejected with the most evident marks of contempt and the secretary kicked as a recompense for his presumption End quote. this account is no doubt a caricature of what actually took place but it to a certain extent corroborates both mr phillips's statement and the poet hayley's allusions to the same event in his ode and we must remember that the poet was also one of wright's intimate friends mr f g stevens has kindly called my attention to the following extract from number one A Liberal Critique, on the Exhibition for 1794, by Anthony Pasquin, Williams, page 15. J. Wright, Derby, number 107, An Eruption of Vesuvius, number 232, A Lake at Dunkeld, in Scotland, Evening, by the same author, number 233, A Village on Fire, by Ditto, quote this truly celebrated artist has honoured the institution by condescending to mingle his choice labours with the harp alley excellence of a majority of the royal academicians footnote harp alley Shoe in london was the market for house signs before they were abolished End a footnote feeling their importance so inordinately it moves my wonder that these uplifted gentlemen do not eagerly contribute by their own efforts, to the support of that order from whence they derive such prodigious importance, and not give the covering world occasion to remark that they have been honoured without desert, and retain the mummeries of the institution without gratitude. When I was in Paris, in 1787, they managed those affairs much better. The Royal Academy of Polite Arts there was conducted more nobly every person was admitted to view gratis what was meant as a free display of national genius for national admiration with us the motive seems cupidity and the end deception with the richest monarch in europe for their patron the arts of england are literally kept from destruction by the votive shillings of a motley public who pay the salaries of the professors and find oil for the lamps in the plaister and living schools, though the king arrogates the character of being the high supporter of the system. But it is a provident assumption of dignity, unaccompanied with either risk, anxiety, or expense. He seems to possess the furore of patronage as highly as the tenth Leo, but I have as yet to learn that he is equally munificent. End quote my own opinion is that the facts as recorded by these writers were in the main correct there seems no reason to doubt that wright's contributions to the annual exhibitions at the academy had been systematically placed in bad positions and that he felt his abilities deserved recognition before those of mr e garvey his competitor at the time whose works consisted principally of small pictures of gentlemen's seats at this period the election of the royal academy were contested and interest was all-powerful and nothing would have been more repugnant to the sensitive and honourable nature of wright than having to pass through the ordeal of canvassing for an election where merit alone should have been the test it is to be regretted that no letters or other memoranda are to be found amongst wright's papers which throw any light upon his refusal of the diploma in 1784. I am, however, able to give, in Wright's own words, his version of his treatment by the Royal Academy during the years 1790, 1791, and 1794. From these letters we learn that Wright had again become an exhibitor in the Academy, but that his pictures were badly hung. This treatment calls forth these words from him, Is not the first instance of their base conduct. I have been driven from their exhibition before, and must again withdraw myself unless I could brook such abuse. Again, in writing to Mr. Phillips in 1794, he says, Your picture of Vesuvius and one at Dunkeld, which could have been at Manchester before now, had not the frames of the pictures which I exhibited been materially damaged at the Academy. Mr. Milburn has orders to put them into good condition and send them to you when done. This is alone sufficient to prove his retirement had some deeper ground than a disinclination to present a diploma picture. Derby, 11th of June, 1790, to John Lay Phillips, my good friend, for so I have risen to call you, is ever prompt and eager to redress as much as may be my wrongs i have lately sustained a real injury from the most illiberal behaviour of the royal academicians with which my dear friend tade has made you acquainted Tis not the first instance of their base conduct i have been driven from their exhibition before and must again withdraw myself unless i could brook such abuse for it is better not to exhibit at all than under such disadvantageous circumstances to put my pictures in places they could not be seen and then to decry them in rank villainy, and what an artist should sink under the reflection of. I wish the town had held together longer. I should have been very glad to have their behaviour publicly known, while it is recent, that if I should exhibit no more with them, the true reason may be known. I was prophet enough to foretell what would happen to me. I think I communicated it to Tate. Indeed, it required no divination. To know the miscreants and their dependency on the alderman footnote Boydell and a footnote was to know the result of all. I am sorry the business is protracted from time to time. The editors stand much in awe of this great man i heard the other day from a relation of the aldermans that the editor of the morning herald had a violent quarrel with him for rejecting the performance of a relation of his as unworthy of his gallery there is an odd paragraph in the leicester papers the prince of pickpockets has given instruction to his attorney to prosecute a printer for a libel on his character can you guess who it is I wonder if Assari has not yet come out with his statement of facts. Sure, he has not plugged with gold the touch hole of his great guns. At present, I can but thank you for your very friendly service to me. I feel the weight of such solid obligations. My best remembrances to Mrs. Phillips, my friend Tate, Mrs. Hardman, etc., etc. And believe me, very sincerely and with much esteem, your friend, Joseph Wright p s tate says you have so high an opinion of my two pictures that if i will join you heath shall be applied to to engrave them i hardly know how to reply unless i knew something of the expense and the likelihood of saving ourselves in such an engagement independent of these considerations i should like it of all things as it would be pushing the matter with the alderman still further Perhaps you will indulge me with a line soon. 15th of April, 1791, to John Leigh Phillips. My dear sir, I have just received a letter from the Secretary of the Incorporated Society of Artists, assuring me they will be happy to receive any pictures from me. But they wish to avoid inserting anything in the catalogue that may appear like altercation with the Royal Academy, and they conceive it sufficient to mention in the catalogue that the two pictures from Shakespeare were exhibited last year at Somerset House. Timely notice not having been sent of the exhibition of this society, but the subjects having received alterations, Mr. Wright wishes them to be exhibited here. However, in this respect, the committee will be wholly guided by me. I think nothing had better be said than the above.' my wish was to have had something mentioned in the catalogue expressive of the slight and injustice shown to my picture last year by the royal academy by the obscure places they put them in which i hope will be an apology to the public for their second appearance pray suggest something proper if you and my friend tate think some observation of the kind should be made heath and martin will have an opportunity of seeing these pictures whether they will approve of them is uncertain nor do I know whether the two pictures of Romeo and Juliet and the Storm are to be marked in the catalogue to be sold. It would gratify my pride and resentment to the alderman to have them engraved by Heath, as the companion of the storm would become more universal. The Society wished to have any single picture beside the two from Shakespeare which would preclude any unpleasant suggestions that might be started to the prejudice of a society. Pray give me your thoughts by return of post, as I must write as soon as possible. I am still unwell, no work going on. Adieu, my good friend, and believe me yours very sincerely. Joseph Wright, St. Ellen's, fifteenth of April, seventeen ninety one. The note in the catalogue of seventeen ninety one, the last exhibition of the Society, thus reads, N. B. The above pictures were exhibited last year in the Royal Academy, but having been placed in an unfortunate situation, owing, as Mr. Wright supposes, to their having arrived too late in London and having since received alterations, he is desirous they should again meet the public eye. St. Allen's, April twenty third, seventeen ninety one, to John Lay Phillips. My dear Sir, as I have a very high opinion of your judgment, integrity and friendship for me i have the greatest satisfaction in asking your advice and regulating my conduct by it i have implicitly followed your instructions relative to the incorporated society who i believe would do anything in reason to accommodate me they approve of the n b as it now stands it entirely removes every ground of cavil between them and the ra yet for my own sake They wish me to consider it as in their opinion it sets me in perhaps too pointed a view of opposition to the R.A. but i don't see that they have repeatedly used me ill and the public ought to know it or my changing the place of exhibition might be deemed whimsicalness the terms it is couched in are delicate and the supposition of delay being ye cause of the pictures being disadvantageously placed is a very sufficient apology for the academy "'Better, indeed, than my heart is inclined to make them. "'I consider the exhibition as my mart, "'and I have sent three small pictures. "'I wish they may make good head against the royalists this year, "'against another I hoped to be better prepared. "'I like the Spring Gardens room very much. "'I am glad you like the addition to your grotto. "'In my opinion, it is much improved by it. "'There is a better balance of light and shadow.' I would advise you to get it painted on the back side with a greyish colour, which will preserve it much. I mention grey because the paint works through like pinheads in any of the porous parts. That tint will be the least seen, and where they are seen, our dear friend Tate will touch him with the point of a pencil. The moonlight is 30 guineas. I thank you very kindly for a quantity of most excellent rugs you were resolved I should never want again i do not understand when you say if we can see a second number of boydell we shall all be satisfied pray is the first out. i am glad you are recovered joseph wright 20th may 1791 to john lay phillips my dear sir your account of the base situation of my friend tate's pictures in the r a hurts me much though from repeated instances of this sort of behaviour both to myself and pupil, I am not much surprised. "'Tis their duty to form the best exhibition in their power, by giving every picture the place its merit claims, but partiality pervades the whole, and I have frequently seen pictures unworthy of public exhibition possessing the most advantageous places. Who it is that misconducts this matter I know not, but I have heard Farrington has much sway in the academy.' as you have given up the concern which Tate mentioned to me some time ago, I must also give up the flattering idea which I had entertained of having my picture engraved by Heath. Martin and he wished again to see them. Have you heard anything from Heath about them? Because the time of closing will be drawing nigh, and I must determine what to do with them. I think they will be the last pictures I shall exhibit.' I am happy to lag your pictures, and am obliged to you for the remittance of thirty-one pounds, ten shillings. I should have wished for the ease of my own feelings to have excused the payment, for I stand much indebted to you, but I durst not offer it you for fear of wounding yours at this time. However, anon, I will place a centre picture between the two to show how sincerely I think myself, dear sir, your obliged friend, Joseph Wright.' st helens may the twentieth seventeen ninety one in a biography of wright i am compelled to notice the unwarrantable attack made by the messrs redgrave in their century of painters upon the reputation of wright as a painter whether this arose from wright's seceding from the academy and so committing an unpardonable offence in the eyes of the messrs redgrave or from the fact that they judged wright by unimportant works as I shall presently show, or from both combined, I must leave the reader to decide. Messrs. Redgrave state, quote, having made a journey into the county, especially to see some of the works of this Derbyshire artist, we were shown many, both portraits, landscapes, and figure subjects, reported to be amongst his best, but always disappointing to our expectations. End quote soon after their publication of the century of painters i was at the trouble to make inquiries as to what pictures had been seen by the messrs redgrave on the occasion of this visit and found that they had not seen his best pictures at all but only a few which were either left unfinished at his death or had been tampered with by others together with some unimportant works they did not see the orrery the gladiator the alchemist nor any of his important portraits or conversation pictures the air palm picture was apparently not seen by them until later when a portion of their criticisms had been written and it then received encomium from them which i now place in juxtaposition with what they had written a few pages before the italics are mine messrs redgrave versus messrs redgrave joseph wright of derby as a portrait painter judged by his best works he was merely respectable. There is a painful solidity of execution, a want of quality and texture, both in the flesh and draperies, so that when placed beside the works of Reynolds or Gainsborough, his portraits remind us of the labours of the house painter. They show little variety of handling, flesh, drapery, sky, trees, all being executed in the same painly manner. Century of Painters, Volume 1, page 258. CRITICISMS ON THE PICTURE CALLED AN EXPERIMENT WITH AN AIR PUMP We certainly should have placed Wright of Derby much lower as an artist had we not seen this very clever work. The drawing and composition is satisfactory, and there is a great contrast in the expression and the varied attitudes of the several heads. The flesh of the faces is good in colour and most carefully modelled. Indeed, the young woman on the right, in blue, and the lad drawing down a curtain to shut out the moonlight on the left, are worth special observation for this quality. The draperies are all carefully painted from nature, a merit apparent also in most of Wright's portraits, and are in this respect very different from the sloped negligence of some of the followers of Reynolds. There is a pretty little incident rendered with feeling and true expression, in the group of two young girls touched with childish sorrow and dread of what they are told is to be the result of the experiment, the death of the bird confined in the glass receiver of the machine. The color of the whole is pleasant, the execution firm and solid, and the brown shadows, although dark, are sufficiently rich and luminous, the picture very agreeable in general tone. Century of Painters, Volume 1, page 264 Mr R Redgrave, R.A., in a letter to the writer dated November the 30th, 1861, wrote, quote, "I have seen on my journey and since very many fine rights and have reported to the commissioners international exhibition on 6 or 8 which they intend to ask or have asked for." End quote. It is a difficult task to reconcile this statement with the house painter theory Yet the century of painters was not published until eighteen sixty six of the picture of an experiment with an air-pump, which called forth such praise from the messrs Redgrave, I am enabled through the courtesy of the proprietors of the art journal to give an illustration. It was presented to the National Gallery a few years ago by Mr. Walter Tyrrell. Chapter six.